Uh, welcome to Eastlake. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Brent. I'm the teaching pastor here. And if this is your first time ever checking uh, us out, we are a church that meets in an old abandoned theater, and uh, it only goes up from there. Um, we are excited that you're here, and uh, we're in part two of a series called Pull Your Head Out of Your App. Inside of your program, got to be careful how you say that, um, there's a note sheet that looks like this. It's a spot to write some things down on the back. Um, if you missed last week, there's um, I'm going to try and do a little bit of a recap and work it in because because uh, I can, because <clears throat> I have a microphone. Uh, but there's a website you can go to, eastlaketricities.com slash talks, and if you go there, you can download or listen or watch or do whatever you want to do uh, to make this happen. But uh, we basically said this, that uh, while technology is great, um, we can easily fall into allowing it to do something to us or make something of us that if we are not careful, we may not like. I mean, technology, and, and here's the thing about uh, the reason why it's so important you know, nowadays is, is the, the space at which technology has, has gone. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling, and it just continues to not grow, but like exponentially grow. The sizes of the, the processing chips are, 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 are getting smaller, and their speed is three times as fast, four times as fast. Every year, you buy a computer, and uh, it's a dinosaur in two years. And you're like, I just bought this thing. It's not like cars. It's, it's not like houses. Uh, it, it's completely like this own kind of own category, if you will. And the things at which they can do, the, here's the thing. We sometimes, we, we have become so numb to the growth of it that we are almost like numb to the realities of the incredibleness of what you do and watch. Last night, I watched on ESPN uh, a coup game through two telephone wires that come into my house. Two telephone wires, and you're like, what are you, on DSL? Yes, I'm on DSL. It's cheaper, right? Anyway, and I'm cheap. I watched this game through not a box. It's two telephone wires that connect to an Apple TV that has an app on it that allows me to sign in to, some, to my in-laws. Uh, <laughs> And they're not here today, so they have no idea that I do this. <laughs> Sign into their account so that I can watch ESPN. Now, I do have a confession for those of you who are Kooks fans who watch the game. I turned it off in the fourth quarter. Now, please, they had just given up a fumble recovery for a touchdown, and we're down 21 points in the fourth quarter with 10 minutes left. I turned it off. I literally showed up at church today. And Gary walks in and says, can you believe that game last night? And I said, yeah, they look terrible. He's like, yeah, they did look terrible. And we just talked about how terrible they looked. And then that was it. <laughs> and then John, the guy who plays Keys, comes in and he said, an ugly win, but we got it. And I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and he said, yeah, dude, triple overtime. And I said, are, are you kidding? I got on my computer and... Listen, I feel bad about walking away. Like, I try and be a fan. I, I work on Sundays. They're kind of big, long days for me. So this Pac-12 scheduling of, like, 7 o'clock start time, triple overtime, not getting out till midnight, that just doesn't work with my schedule. So that's my, partly my excuse. I admit, I'm, I'm admitting to, like, turning it off and walking away from it. And I found out this week, um, 
uh, like Mark Wahlberg did the same thing in the Super Bowl. Now, here's the thing. Super Bowl, I'll stay up for that, man. I'll do whatever you want. Mark, you say you're like this Boston Patriots fan, and then you turn it off and walk away, and then they bring you back an opening game on Thursday night, right before they get blown out, by the way, and have you do this whole talk through how this amazing game that happened, and the irony that comes out on Twitter later is that you weren't even there to watch that comeback? Come on, man. That's a great come on, man, for me. So I pulled a Marky Mark, okay? I'm like Mark Wahlberg. We have similar physiques. We have similar attitudes and tastes and everything. And yes, I turned it off, but only because I have standards, and I wanted to be fully, uh, fully present with you this morning. So, because the problem is, you can, you can stay up and be like, well, gosh, it just comes at me so fast. Netflix doesn't even give me time to go to the bathroom in between shows. It's like your next show's up in 15, 14, 13. You're like, yeah, I'm going to stay for another one. You know what I mean? That we can, it's so easily accessible for us that we can be blinded to who it is making us become. And if we don't, if we don't have moments, hopefully, like this on a Sunday where we can be able to step out of it and be like, okay, what is it about that? Mm, what is it about that that is making me? What, how is that shaping me? What kind of a person am I becoming as a result of this? How do I capitalize on the good things of technology? Which, I mean, come on, there's so many crazy, incredible things for us to be like, hey, just put your phone in the blue bins at the top of the ramp as you're leaving. We'll, we'll save you from all of that grief. That would just mean an upgrade of a cell phone for me, which I'm fine to do if you want to do that, but I, I'm not anti-technology, but how do you capitalize on the good and um, make sure to protect yourself from, or minimize uh, the bad? Because as connected as we are, we are probably the most connected, not just like this Tri-Cities community, and not even just at, on a national level, but on a global level, unlike any other generation before us. We can get news on all of the different storms and where they're taking place and uh, and all of the different news about the governments in Colombia and the governments in, in this place and who's getting uh, elected and wh- whether those elections are valid or not valid. I mean, that, that kind of news would either be completely ignored, missed, um, or, or just not even available to us mere decades ago, mere years ago, right? But now, now, my goodness, it's all on hand. And so as connected as we are, though, um, what we know because of not only personal experience, but just seeing things come out in the news is that sometimes um, humanity has a hard time um, adjusting to a, a world that is so connected, and yet from a, on a personal level, we remain disconnected. Um, and I don't mean that you don't have friends, um, because you, you might have uh, several hundred online friends, but like there's that feeling of even though I have them, it feels, it feels shallow. And am I known and am I fully known by anybody truly? And we struggle with, with all of this stuff. We find it difficult uh, as a result as well to simply be alone. We find it easy to be around others, but maybe not with them. Uh, and so as a result of that, I mean, this even happened for me. Uh, so this weekend I had uh, a wedding and a funeral on the same day, yesterday. And Friday, I had a wedding rehearsal and uh, this, this, um, uh, the meeting with the family and, and all of these things. And I show up in these things, and here's what you may not know, because you only get 
married once, maybe twice, hopefully not three or four times, but whatever. You know, those events are very few and far between for you. I get to go to a lot of weddings. Um, And I'm sure when you are the star of the party, your rehearsal dinners are fun and amazing, and you know everybody there. I know probably nobody but you at your wedding rehearsal, right? So I get there, and uh, I do my little shindig, and then they, uh, shindig, uh, and then I get invited to stay after for the dinner thing, and which is fine, except that, you know, everybody's kind of, uh, you, you think that churches have cliques. You should see rehearsal dinners. <laughs> you, you, can, you feel like an outsider real fast. And so uh, I'm not saying this so you feel bad, and next time you see me at a rehearsal dinner, you come up and be like, I'll sit with you, friend. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's fine. I, actually, I would love that. That would be great. But I'm saying I sit down, and it, it takes me all of five seconds to be like, well, this is awkward. Let me pull out my phone and act like I have something to do. So if you saw me at this writing rehearsal, and you know that I'm teaching this series about how we feel disconnected, and then I'm on my phone, I'm like, yeah. I don't know what else to do during this time. I don't, I don't, I don't like the feeling of being alone. I, I want to. I, I, I view this as some sort of a connection to whatever it, it is. And, uh, and, and so it's definitely a reality. This is, this is something that uh, we constantly struggle with. So a really healthy question that I, I meant to really drive home last week, and I, I don't think I put it up on the screen. I think I said it, but I didn't put it up on the screen. And it's going to be like a question I think filters through all of this. So I'm just going to put it on, on, on here. When it comes to evaluating technology, so I'm not just talking phones. I know the series app has like a picture of a phone. I'm talking everything that you use that, that makes life easier because of technology, Okay. In that category, is this, if you want a healthy evaluation question for whether or not this is becoming, this is a good thing for me or a bad thing for me, how do I capitalize on the good, minimize the bad? Is this helping me become the kind of person I'm meant to be? Because a lot of technology uh, differs from tools in, in a certain way. Tools have been around for centuries, right? Tools have been around. Tools help us uh, accomplish a, pro- a project that we need to get done, and they make it easier to be able to do that. Technology, though, a lot of technology operates in a passive way. It does things for us without us even thinking about it. It operates on a level where we don't have to pay attention. That's the beauty of, of technology, is I can program into a little dial in my garage so that my sprinklers, let's see, what time is it? 9.59? They're probably running right now. And I'm not at home pushing one section, one, seven minutes. It's happening. Unless it breaks down like it has been and I have to replace valves all the time. So that, but that's the, the, the thought on it. When it's working correctly is you can set it and forget it. Right? Sounds like an Instapot commercial or whatever. But technology has allowed us to do something early on, either make the uh, adjustment of purchasing a product, uh, putting all of our information and our schedule and here's what I want, and then kind of automating it. And, uh, and what it does in that automation is it shapes us without even knowing it. And that's really the danger of, of, um, of technology, the thing that I think you need to evaluate, because it is constantly doing this shaping on us, whether we are, are aware of it or not. It's not just it's not just I in, uh, I'm shaped by the pictures that I read of the news feeds from my friends on Facebook and Instagram or whatever, um, because a lot of times you don't even choose to enter into that. Like, it's just habit. Like, 
that has already done the work of automating it, making it really easy because it's on the first page of my home screen. And so it's, it's so natural for me to just open it up, slide to open, press the button, and I've got five minutes while I wait for this thing to cook or this job to, to start or whatever. And, and, and then I can be right there. And it's shaping us in the process through all of this. That's the difference between tools and technology. So the question would be, is this helping me become the kind of person that I'm meant to be? And some of the evaluation questions that we said yesterday was, are you okay, or yesterday, last week, are you okay with um, being alone? It has, uh, is it a struggle for you with the access to technology that we have to be, to be alone, to be alone with ourselves, to be alone with our thoughts? When people get up from the dinner table at a restaurant and they're like, I gotta go use the restroom. And as soon as they're like out of the, the line of sight, is the phone out of the pocket? Are we diving right into this? And not only that, not, not just when they're gone, but sometimes when they're here. For those of you who have families and kids uh, at, at home and, and it's, uh, it's loud and they're playing and they're doing their thing and, and am, I okay with, um, am I okay with myself escaping, which is, I mean, everybody needs an escape once in a while, but is the escaping becoming the pattern? And is my family feeling it, though they may not be able to voice that? But is there something in the way that they look at me with that, like, oh, cynicism towards me diving back into my technology? Are they, are they asking, maybe not with words, but with feelings, are we not enough for you? Is it having an effect, for those of you who identify as Christians and call yourself a Christian, is it having an effect on uh, your relationship with God? Is, is there a point where you would feel like, if I'm honest with, you, with, with, with myself, I feel like God is challenging me, saying, am I not, am I not enough for you? How, how's, I've, I've found that technology has, uh, has interrupted uh, and made my prayer life more difficult because it makes it feel like more of a waste of time. You know what I mean? It already is difficult because I'm like, golly, man, I'm, I'm, I'm praying either audibly or mentally or whatever towards, uh, towards a God who I believe exists and it has um, so, some sort of a, uh, an investment into my life and, and, and an ability to shape some things about what I, uh, what I do with my life. So those are kind of the areas where it is a struggle for us. And, and a helpful question is, is it helping me become the kind of person I'm meant to be? Last week, we also introduced the idea of nudges. Nudges and disciplines. Disciplines being the things that we work hard at to be able to make. I'm, I'm gonna choose to do this. But nudges are like pre-decisions. Nudges are, how do I do something to make it easier to choose what I know I need to do? If I know I need to eat healthier, then I'm gonna buy that salad at Costco that sits in my fridge because if I have to choose to like make that out of nothing, it's not gonna happen. So I need to nudge myself into making this. this and nudges can work both positively and negatively. Last week I, I talked about one that I'm kind of processing through, and this week on the podcast I mentioned it as well. Um, I'm trying to do this like 30 minutes before bed and 30 minutes after I wake up, like no social media, no emails, no nothing. Because I, for me, a pattern was fall asleep with the blue glow of the rectangle uh, as, you know, just, there's just a shadow. And it's not like I don't like my wife. I just, like, yay, I'll just, she falls asleep early. She's seven months pregnant. It happens. She's in bed at like 7.30. I'm like, I can't do that. I cannot, I can't do that. It's not me. I'll just lie there, right? So then instead of that, I'm going to research all of your lives. And anyways... Uh, that, that's a, a po- I think that's been a positive nudge 
for me. Last week, I also nudged you in a certain way. I gave you, uh, threw out a statistic for you um, about how often we uh, take our phones with us into the bathroom. I got a text this week from uh, David Hughes, sitting right over here, and he says, I pull, he sent me a picture of some Clorox wipes, and he says, thanks for nudging me in the right direction on cleaning the face of my cell phone. I've never done it in this many months, and it's absolutely gross to even think about, and I can't believe you brought it up in church. I totally get it. Nudges can be both positive and negative. Nudges can be something that you push yourself towards, something that I know I want to do. Or, and the, the, the thing that I want to look at today is there are sometimes some things that can need to be, a nudge can also be something that needs to be removed because the temptation is, if it's there, I'm going to do it. Uh, I know myself. I know that this may not be uh, something that everybody needs to do, but for me personally, with the, if, I could take, if I could ask this evaluation question for me, and I know that this is an area that needs work in my life, or is there something I need to eliminate, not just add, but eliminate, so that I can become the type of person, the type of character of person that I want to be? So I want to talk through a story that shows up in the book of Judges, um, and the book of Judges comes at a time, it's part, of, uh, it's part of the Old Testament, which are the Jewish scriptures. And in those scriptures, there's a lot of different genres of literature. There's like the law, which are like the first five books. Like here's what, here's what relationship with God looks like for the Israelite people, right? Uh, and then it, there's a, lo- a long set of what are called the historical books. So you've got 1 Kings, 2 Kings, uh, 1 and 2 Chronicles, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, uh, not Esther, uh, yeah, Esther too, I guess, Judges, uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, all those types of things. And Judges is one of those historical books. And what happens is they, the nation of Israel has come out of Israel, uh, they have gone through the desert, they've done the wandering, they've gone to Mount Sinai, and, uh, and God has given Moses uh, like the Ten Commandments. This is what it would look like to be in relationship with a God that you may not know, but you're going to get to know. There's going to be some standards here. If you're going to be my people, um, I'm going to invite you to be, ex- and this is, this is different, right? Because this is not how the New Testament church operated, but I want you to be exclusive. Jesus, I think, comes on the scene later and says the time of exclusivity is over. Now we are an inclusive community. We are going to add the Gentiles into the mix. We're going to start all these churches around the world, telling them that there is a God who exists, who um, is known through the person of Jesus. And, and so that's, that's where we're at. So um, while what I'm going to read is going to sound very mm, exclusive and anti what you would think God would be about, this was for their period of time what they needed to hear. They were coming out of 400 years, multi-generational slavery. Multi-generational, we don't really have um, our own religion. We have no concept of, of who God is. Um, we, we have an ancestral history where Abraham was supposedly called out by God, but that was a really long time ago. And based on the track record of the last 400 years, that seems pretty lost and pretty outdated and probably like a fantasy And so in order to retrain them, he has them wander through the wilderness, gives them uh, or assigns them a promised land, the area kind of that we know as modern day Israel, right there along the Fertile Crescent off to the east of the Mediterranean Sea, this land that was the best of the best. And he begins to say, I'm going to have you go into these different nations and I'm going to have you drive out the people who are living there. Um, and uh, these people are the same people who had attacked your your ancestors a long time ago, and I'm giving the land. That land belongs to you, so therefore I'm going to go through uh, here. And and, uh, listen, um, again, there's some uh, 
There's some hesitation. The elephant in the room is how could God command people to go in and slay the women and children and animals and everything that lives and breathes and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I get it. Like, I understand that you've probably been a, a, at a church before, a church service where the pastor read through that and, every, and everybody around him just nodded and be like, yeah, that's, that's how God works. And you're like, am I taking crazy pills here? Um, you know what I mean? Like, is, is, uh, are we okay with a God who commands genocide? <laughs> you know? Um, so my, my, I don't have time to go into that. I, we did a series a while back called um, uh, the, the Bible Tells Me So. That was the name of the series. And if, if that is a roadblock for you, I'm, I'm going to ask you to suspend judgment and just kind of we're going to walk through, I think, what the primary purpose of, of the passage is about. That is a secondary thing. Um, if, if you need to, if you're like, I just can't get over that. I can't get over a God who would do that. Then uh, we will try and send out a link to that series. You can listen to that and um, figure out why I think that that was important. But Judges is about this nation going into the land and trying to kind of take things over. They operated as 12 tribes, the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, and, and they were given an allotment of land. Each person was assigned a section. You go here, you go here, you go here. And then the story is basically how they go. And there was no central leadership for Israel. The idea, well, there was, but it was considered to be a theocracy, which is God alone operates in this way. Now, God doesn't have a throne that people could go to and submit all their things, you know, their issues and judgments to. So it operated very different from a democracy. It, it, was, it was very theocentric or God-centric. And, and he did that intentionally. He wanted to be like, hey, I, I don't want you to fall into the, under the impression of worshiping like this idol of leadership. I want it to be on me. But I think the entire time he's anticipating them realizing how much we want a king. The book of Judges is a book about how it just doesn't work. I mean, that should be like the subtitle for the book of Judges. Judges, how Israel just couldn't figure out how to make it work. They just struggled the entire time. Israel, the actual name is struggled with God. And here's, here's, here's them, exhibit A, struggling to make, figure out the identity for themselves, figure out how to make this, all of this work. And at the very end, it says, to summarize the entire book, in this time, there was no king. Everybody operated in the way that they saw fit. Everybody did what was good for them in the eyes of themselves. And it just represents total mass destruction. And it points towards then they wanted a king, who then Saul becomes king, then David. And the entire time, as the king is proposed, uh, the, the, there's this like crying out of, but a king, this, like a human king, this isn't, it's not what you thought it would be, is it? It's not working right. What if there was a greater king? What if there was somebody who was God who became king, pointing towards Jesus? I'm getting ahead of myself. We need to dive into Judges. I just want to put, listen, you're like, dude, are we, are we done yet? Can we do the benediction, get out of here? I get it. I promise. I think the, I think the parameters are important, though. You need to understand that this is, um, there is brokenness here, and it's here for a reason. And Israel, later in their generation, decided that this was important enough for them to write down as their personal history. They're like, never forget how broken we were. We don't do that, do we? When people ask us, hey, tell us about your college years. You go, I mean, it was wazoo. I, I, don't, I, can't, I, I, I don't want to talk about it. I graduated. That was the bottom line. Somehow I made it through, and then I settled down in life. We don't, we don't prop those years typically up. 
and say, kids, here's what I'm proud of. Let's all gather around and let's talk about all of the decisions that I made in college. We don't do that. They did that. And that's what we're reading today. All right. Judges chapter 1, verse 21 um, they, they have assigned all of these things. God has said to them, go into all of these nations and drive out the people, drive out the people. Uh, for 20 verses, it talks about how this is kind of important. And then right there in verse 21, all the way through, and there's a big section. It says, uh, now the Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. Verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean. Verse 29, and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Zebulun did not drive out the, the inhabitants of Kitron. God had given specific instructions, eliminate these, uh, push these people out of, of this land that I'm giving to, to you. I don't want them to remain. I don't want their altars to remain. They had these things called Asherah poles, which are um, temple, like these like totem pole type things that were uh, made to their gods. They're like, take those out. Take out these altars, these temples that were built to uh, all of these different gods and goddesses. I want you to destroy them. And over and over and over again in the Old Testament history, what we see are repetitive refrains of the Israelites failing to do this completely. And the reason why, if you dive into it more, is because they were still impressed by the people who lived there. Uh, they, when they would go in, they would see all of these things, and it would be a greater level of artistic stuff. It would be a, a greater, they're, they're coming out of slavery. They didn't know anything. And they come, and they see these people who have developed these nations so big, and they're like, why would we destroy all of, the, of this? We can keep this. This is really good. This is really like an advancement in terms of human consciousness. We shouldn't destroy this. And God's like, I, I, want, I want it to be gone. I want to start from scratch with you to train you what it means to be fully human. And if you dive into this, there's going to be some temptations to pull you away from fully trusting in me. I want you to drive it out completely. And the common refrain over and over and over again is they went in and they did most of what they were supposed to do, but they didn't quite do everything as a result of it. Then chapter two, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum. And, or Bochim, and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. That's, what he's, that's the point of it. I don't want you to make a covenant with them because you begin to trust in what we have together instead of trusting on what I am offering to you. You begin to trust in man relationships instead of God relationships. But you shall break down their altars, yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I've also said, I will not drive them out before you. They become traps for you. In other words, all of these things, all of these things that you look at, uh, and, they're, and they're, they seem to be good, and, and, and I said to kill all the animals, and you kept some of them best and the brightest. You've done this, and they're going to become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. Because after all, if their gods provided them with this, then maybe there's value there. Maybe I begin to compare, well, God, Yahweh, God, you've only given me this, and they seem to have this, and so therefore, maybe they're the ones. That's the problem with this. It's bright, and it's shiny, and I'm not willing to let it go, because it feels like something that I need. Chapter 3, I'm moving ahead again. I'm just breezing through this first section, because it's, like, it's a long introduction. Verse 1 through 6, these are the nations the Lord left. The Lord left. 
This is the conclusion that they came to. Writing this down years later, this was not a diary that they took on as as a daily thing. They found themselves in exile in Babylon trying to figure out what happened. How did we get here? We had all this promise coming out of Egypt. We saw these amazing plagues against the most powerful nation in the world. God led us to this land, gave us this new land, and then we threw it all away. What happened? And this is their writing this down. And when they did it, they didn't say, and we decided this, and we rejected God. What they said is, the Lord left these to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. Uh, he did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal, Hermon, uh, to Lebohamath. I'm probably mispronouncing some of those, but it doesn't matter. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. There's a quiz a little bit later today. I'll be emailing it to you. And so I just, I want you to make sure that you understand and can pronounce all those. They took their daughters in marriage. They took their daughters in marriage, uh, which is a form of forming a treaty with them, deliberately disobeying what God said just a few passages earlier. Don't, don't, don't leave up their, their temples. Don't leave up their, their houses that they have built. Eliminate those completely. But they take their daughters in marriage, therefore adjusting this treaty thing, gave their own daughters to their sons, and served their gods. And this is, this is why this is how we got into the mess. That's essentially what they're saying. The reason this is messy is because this is what we did. We refused to evaluate. Is this, what kind of people is this making us become as a result of having these here? They never asked themselves that question. They looked at it and said, those things have plenty to offer us. And we'll be all right. I, don't, I guarantee most of them at that point had seen too much of the goodness of God to be like, um, well, we're putting ourselves at risk, but I, you know, I don't know how this is going to work out. Almost all of them probably looked at this and said, we're good. Don't worry about us. Oh, no, no, no. We won't fall into the temptation of their gods. How would we do that? You've been so good to us. They went into it with a positive expression, with a positive mentality, with all of the right intentions, but we know where the road of good intentions are paved with, right? We, we know what happens with that, and it's not enough. We don't fully appreciate and recognize the role that the environment around us has in shaping us passively. And this is true for humanity in general, but as it comes, as technology has advanced, it's only gotten even even more of an impact for us. The environment that that you find yourself in shapes you passively. Technology accentuates that. It speeds that up. And if we are not careful, if we do not pull ourselves out and be like, what is this making me? What kind of a person is this making me? Is it making me the person I need to become, I want to become, who I've been created to be? And space, this is the point of today, right? The point of today is not choosing character. We did that last week. The point of today is space matters. Space matters. Where, what you surround yourself with, what you continue to allow to have influence over you is important. When was the last time that you evaluated the space in which you live and work and spend most of your time being? I, I came across this in the book that we're basing this off of uh, for this series, and the question that it, 
or the challenge that it had for me in this was find the room where you and your family spend the most time and eliminate the things that ask very little of you and develop very little of you. Now, for most people that did this survey, uh, I think it was like 64% of people said that the time that we spend most together as a family is in our living room. So I want you to think about that for you. It may not be your living room. I don't know what kind of apartment or home that you live in, but what room in your house does your family spend the most time in? What kind of a things have you allowed to be in that space? And what, is that, what are those things doing to you that you're maybe, like I'm not even aware about this. So for example, my wife, this is like way before the series. This is like several years ago. Oh, here's the story. Here's how it, let me, let me just rewind the whole way, all right? When we got married, I don't know if you know this, for those of you who are in high school or college or whatever, but when you get married, uh, you get cards at your uh, marriage ceremony, kind of like you got, grad, it's like graduation. Remember how graduation High school graduation, college graduation, you get envelopes, they're filled with money. People are just being like, sorry, I couldn't come to your graduation. I hate sitting down for two hours, but here's 20 bucks or here's 50 bucks or whatever, right? And when weddings happen, it happens again. Couldn't come to your wedding or I did come to your wedding, but here's a bunch of money to get you started in life. It's really, it's amazing. I see why people get married multiple times because that would be amazing. I, I, if, you're ever, if you're ever broke, we're renewing our vows. And anyways, and the best thing is, uh, when Kyla and I got married, we uh, were still figuring each other out. And, um, you know, you think you know somebody. Uh, and, and you're also in that honeymoon phase where it's absolutely, babe, whatever you want to, yeah, let's do it. Let's. And so we, we got a big sum of money. Well, I mean, big to us, right? And we're like, what do we do with this? And I was, <laughs> and I was like, let's buy a big screen TV. I'm not making this up. True story. This is absolutely true story. We went to Circuit City. Remember Circuit City? You do. Absolutely you do. It's still in like dirt behind the wall. If you look up at the building, it's Circuit. Anyways, we went to Circuit City and bought a 50-inch LCD rear projection. It wasn't top of the line, but it was pretty dang good. We had, like the, we had a bigger TV than both of our parents, and they never let us live that down at all. And, and, and this was going to be the way that we were going to start our marriage. And it was right smack dab in the living Like you walked in the front door, the very first thing you see. And we watched the entire office on that TV. We watched movies. Uh, we, we, uh, we, um, we used it a ton. And then we had kids and, and whatever. And, and I remember a few years into our marriage, she said something along the lines of, um, well, we had moved, we had moved from, we, it was a, a two-bedroom apartment, then we got like into a house, something like that. And she's like, I don't think that I want this giant screen in our living room. And, and I, this felt so foreign to me. I said, why would you not want this in here? And she's like, I just don't want it to be, when people walk in, I want this to be a place of conversation and a place of enjoyment and sharing life together. And, and I said, what is this? Why are you doing this? <laughs> and I said, no. No, I'm just kidding. I said, of course, babe, whatever you want, right? That's how you do it. So we moved that upstairs. And I said uh, something about well, we need something in there. And so she said, okay, well, we'll buy. She, she went and bought a, a, a TV at like Walmart. It was 19 inches. You guys don't even know how small 19 inches now <laughs> is. I wish I had a picture for you. I walked in and I, I said, what is that? Is that like an iPad that's on, a, on the wall? 
Are they making somewhat bigger iPads now? No, that's our new TV for our living room. And uh, uh, my brother-in-law came over and took a picture of me watching a game because when I would, have to, when I would watch football and it would begin really intense, um, then I would stand up and stand two feet away <laughs> from the screen so I could feel like I was watching this. And I remember him taking a picture of this. And then, and then, that wasn't enough. 19 inches, that's too much of a screen in our living room. I would like us to get rid of that TV and have a living room without any TVs in it. And I said, okay, I don't know what to do. I, fine, let's, that's great, let's make it happen. Uh, and the TV, the night, the, the behemoth TV uh, is now upstairs in like this, like, I don't know, TV room or whatever. So we do have a TV, I'm not... I'm not Amish, okay? You know what I mean? Like, I have, I have standards. I'm watching the football game this afternoon, right? I told you I watched the Cougs game last night. That, that's happening. Uh, so we have that upstairs. But that's like, that's like a TV. That's what you go to to watch TV. That's what, that's what happens. And then we have a living room downstairs with, with nothing. So where'd the 19-inch go? I'm glad you asked. It went into our daughter's room. That's where it went. And you're like, isn't your daughter nine years old? Why does she have a TV in her room? Listen, it's still unplugged. She doesn't even know how to do this thing. It's storage. It's, I could store it in a closet or I could store it in her room. That's, that's currently where it sits, and she's just so excited to have a TV in her room that it doesn't work. <laughs> but what we found is in the room that we spend the most time in, um, we have a piano, we have couches, uh, we have a fireplace. Um, that's where we stick our Christmas tree. Um, that's where our family wrestles on the ground. We have this like rug that the kids love wrestle time. Um, we read there. We sit down and have discussions about how is your day there. And then when we're ready to watch whatever show that we're watching or movie or whatever, then we transition up into a room that we don't use as often. So for us, this has been kind of a, a more an intentional approach. And, and I know this might be impossible for you. I mean, I don't know what your housing situation is. You're like, well, I wish I had an extra room to be able to go do that, Brent. But um, apparently I'm not a pastor. Don't make all that money. Anyways, <laughs> I get it, whatever. Um, I, I say all that because I don't know what your housing situation looks like. I, I'm just challenging you. I just want you to sit back and go in the room that we spend the most amount of time with. Are we allowing things to exist in here that ask nothing of us and provide very little things for us? Uh, I'm not anti-TV. I'm, just, I'm so pro-family. I'm so pro-relationships. I'm so pro-actual physical connectedness that it's just not worth it for us. It'd be easier. Like, we have a surround sound system. It was with the house when we bought it. Again, you're like, dude, what are they paying you? It was with the house when we bought it, okay? It's currently not being used. It's like built into the walls. It's amazing. It sounds incredible, but it's in the room that we use the most, and so therefore, it, uh, it doesn't get used. And when you want to buy our house from me, you can put it in there or whatever. But that's how it works for us. We try and value creativity over consumption. And in the room that we most use, in the, in the room that our family um, feels most like family, I want to promote things that, that push us towards creativity and not consumption. Because technology has this passive way of not really asking us what do you think, but telling us how to think, right? We go online and we we watch shows, tell me what to think. We go online and, and say, that, I, I thought this movie was great, but what does everybody else say about it? It's like this hive mindset. We don't even, we can't even think for ourselves anymore. That's the passivity of it working on us. Do you understand that? I don't want that to be, come on, kids, let's all gather around and 
have outside influences tell us what to think instead of processing through it for us and asking ourselves the question, is this helping me become the kind of person that I'm meant to be? Um, I, I've finished this up with a simple phrase that I think is or a, a verse that has been kind of resonating with me as we work through this technology type of stuff. Because technology is, it feels insatiable. It feels like unquenchable. Like I always want more. I, I, I never, I never um, put my phone away because I, I've had enough. It's usually because I've ran out of time and I now need to go do something else because my work requires it or my family requires it or something else. And uh, people who sell technology do it in such a way that always leave you wanting more. You've got to get back. You've got to check in every single day. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. And in this, in this world that drives our human nature in that way, listen to the words of Jesus as he um, speaks to somebody in particular who has been chasing something. But here's what he says. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Listen, if uh, you're not religious, then one step for you would just be, I think, the whole question of in the main part of your home, what do you you allow in there? And what do you need to eliminate from there? That's super legit. Um, But for those of us who are Christians and for those of us who are seeking in that way, it's a deeper root issue. We're chasing something. We want something. We want fulfillment in something. And what is being offered through the person of Jesus is, I am the bread of life. Who comes, whoever comes to me won't go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as each of us go back into our normal lives, and probably most of us are going to go home and turn on that TV to watch our Seahawks kick some Green Bay butt. But um, I pray that at some point we would... Um, whether individually with ourselves or corporately together as a family uh, uh, or um, a household, begin to evaluate the space, recognize the value of space and how our environment shapes us and ask ourselves the question, Is this? are we going to allow this to be something that um, passively shapes us? And is it, if we, if we allow it, what kind of a person is, is it uh, influencing us to become? And are we okay with that? Guide us in this endeavor. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard the curse act on it. In your name, amen.